If you have your Bible with you, uh, go ahead and grab it and turn with me, uh, not to Luke 2. I've had several people say, are we doing the standard? Are we going Luke 2 tonight? And we're not. We're not. We're going First Peter, First uh, Peter chapter 1. Uh, that's where we're going to be for, uh, for a few minutes here together tonight. If you don't have a Bible, that's okay. Uh, there should be a green one somewhere around you, so just go ahead and grab that. If you don't own a Bible, that's our gift to you. Well, we didn't wrap it, but that, that's okay. It's still it's, it's a present. You can take that, uh, and, and we, we want you to have that. That'll be your first gift. It's our practice and tradition here at Rivercrest to stand together uh, for the reading of God's Word. We do that for a couple of reasons. The first and foremost is we stand for the reading of God's Word because it is our foundation uh, we stand because as we read the Bible, we're actually hearing the voice of God speaking. And so what I would like to make very clear is you won't hear anything more important from me tonight than what we're about to read here in First Peter. So would you stand with me if you're willing and able, and we will turn our hearts, we will set our, our gaze and our ears upon the Word of God together. This is First Peter chapter 1, starting uh, with verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice. Though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen Him, you love Him. Though you do not now see Him, you believe in Him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank You for this day. Lord, we thank You for the beauty of song and, and the opportunity we have here to sing praise to You, to hear songs of praise to You. We thank you that as the Lamb of God you have come, and we ask now that you would send your Spirit on this place, Lord, that you would meet us here tonight, not that you, not that you need our permission to be here, but we are begging you to show up and to be at work in our hearts, to, to move the distractions of this world out of our minds, to, to allow us to just be with you, to be in your presence. Lord, don't let me stand in the way of that tonight. I pray that you would speak and that we would have ears to hear. Lord, we pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, you may be seated. As a church, as a, as a new church, as you've heard already, we have been, uh, we've spent the last four weeks together uh, looking at this passage as we've been walking together through the four themes of the Advent season. We've considered the themes of hope, uh, and, and what we said there, and we, we said it, you see it there in verse 3 of, of this passage, is that our hope isn't just wishful thinking. We've tried to make that very, very clear. We don't look forward today as people who are just wishing that it will work out. That's, that's what a wish is. A wish isn't rooted in anything other than just our 
our own desires. You know, on Amazon, you can, they have what you can do is called a wish list. If you, if you know about this thing, it's, it's the greatest thing in the world because Amazon has everything in the world. So you can, just, you can just click on it and say add to wish list. And it can be everything from like basically a, a car down to, uh, you know, like envelopes. Um, by the way, that's what I buy mostly on Amazon is like paper products these days. Anyway, um, you can pick whatever you want. You can put it on the wish list. But you know what it's not called? Is not called a hope list, okay? It's a wish list, meaning there's absolutely no basis for you to assume under any circumstance that you might actually receive what's on your list. It's not a hope list. It's a wish list. Like, I can wish for a million dollars all day, every day, but there is absolutely nothing in this world to give me any reason to hope that somebody's just going to give me a million dollars. I have no reason to expect it. And that's the difference between a wish and a hope. It's a matter of expectation. Hope has an expectation of fulfillment. And so what Peter says is that we have what he calls a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And what he's saying is that's where our hope is rooted. It's rooted in an empty tomb and it's rooted in a resurrected Savior. It's rooted in those two realities that we can actually verify today, that there is no body of Jesus in a tomb, that he is not here. As I've always said, the problem for the skeptical mind isn't that Jesus died, it's that he didn't stay that way, right? Because he's alive and we hold it with eyes now looking to the future towards what Peter calls, again, this is in our passage, he calls an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. And he says that it's being kept in heaven for you. So it's not a trinket under your tree. It's not a sweater. It's not like a, a new pair of shoes. That's not what he's offering here. Those are things that what, what the Bible says that moth and rust will destroy, right? That thieves will break in and steal. Those are things that will... I mean, the odds are by next year at this time when we go out into a field or go to Home Depot or go to Costco or wherever and get another tree and we bring it into our house, those things that we get this year are already going to need replacing. It's entirely possible by this time next year, especially if you've got kids, they've already outgrown everything that you've put under your tree for them. Our hope is in Jesus because Jesus is alive today. And the other, and the offer that he has for us is an eternal offer. We considered the theme of peace, and what, was, what we said was that peace, the peace of Christ is not a, it's not a political peace. It's not a, it's not a political peace, but a spiritual peace. So it's not a peace that we can vote for. It's not a peace that we can legislate in this world. And so if you're looking for someone in office to, to give you true peace, you're going to be constantly disappointed. If you think that you can just decide on your own that there will be peace in your life, that you can just mandate it, clearly you've never had a toddler. You see, the peace of Christ means that even when we get that phone call from the doctor, even when the phone rings and it's our kid telling us the last thing we would ever want them to tell us, even when we lose someone that we would never want to lose, it means that we, that this is verse 5, by the way, that we, by God's power, are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Literally, that means that we are being shielded 
This is what Peter just said, is that God Almighty in heaven right now is guarding His people, that He is shielding them. I always think of the the Spartan soldiers with their famous phalanx who, who held their shields to protect the man on the right of them, that their, that their method of fighting together was not to protect themselves, but to protect the person on the side of them. You see, that's what the Bible calls the peace of God. And what Paul tells us is that type of peace surpasses all understanding. And what Paul means when he says that is simply that the peace of God doesn't make sense in this world. That it doesn't make sense. That it's not a natural peace. It's a supernatural peace. And so while it's beyond our capacity to explain, by God's grace, it's not beyond our capacity to receive it. And so we walk in peace today, even in the trials, even in the losses, even in the moments of genuine grief, even in those moments of sorrow and angst and heartache, not because of our strength, (laughs) never because of our strength, but because we're being held being guarded through faith by the power of God Almighty. I tell our kids all the time that there's, that there's nothing that they can do. And if you're a parent, you've probably said this, or you, or you will. Um, there's nothing they can do to make me stop loving them. And then almost inevitably, they respond nearly every time, but even if I, and I just pray they won't finish that sentence, right? Just, don't, just let there be some mystery in this life. It's okay. As Christians... As those who trust in Jesus Christ for our eternal lives, God says that nothing, this is what he says, that nothing will snatch you out of his hand. And so it's not only that he holds the inheritance for us, but it's also that he holds on to us for the inheritance. And that's good news. That's what stirs up that next theme. That's what stirs up joy in our hearts is that we are loved by our creator. That's the third theme of Advent. It's joy. But the problem for some of us, even for some of us in this room maybe, some of us who might be in a church every day, some of us who might even sing in the choir, the problem for us is that we have never truly surrendered our lives to Jesus Christ. We've never waved the white flag. We're still holding on. We're still pressing, unable to believe that He would want anything to do with us because we're a mess. Because I'm a mess. I know you think you're a mess. I'm a mess. So when you think you're a mess, I understand that. I'm a mess. There are times when it is difficult for me to believe that the God of the universe, a holy and just God, would want anything to do with me. Like I know some of you come in here today thinking that God wouldn't want anything to do with you. But, but I want you to just hear me for one second here. If you don't hear anything else, hear this. If you find yourself doubting that God could or would ever love you, the fact that you are in this place tonight, in this old book warehouse with a death trap of an emergency exit, never go out this door, okay? You will plummet to your death, we'll never find you, and I'll have to write a letter to family, all right? It'll be a nice one, I'll make you sound good because I don't want to get sued, but just just, don't ever go out this way, okay? If you've ever been tempted to believe that God wouldn't love you, the fact that He has brought you into this place. Maybe somebody dragged you in here tonight, and that's okay. There's some people looking at me who probably are like, yeah, God definitely made somebody drag me up in here, and we're going to fight about it later, but that's, that's okay. If you are here tonight, what that means is, I want you to hear this, it means that He is seeking after you. That's what it means. Whether He knows you or whether He doesn't know you right now, He is seeking after you right now. It means that He is beckoning you 
right now. I want you to think about that, that the God of the universe, as if he doesn't have a whole lot of other stuff to take care of, that right now he's moving towards you. Like he's not sitting on the porch with his arms crossed waiting for you to go and get your mess together. I think that's sometimes how we figure God is. That he's sitting there like a disappointed father waiting for us to get our act together so he doesn't have to tell us once again. But that's, but that's not the picture we find of God in Scripture. You see, Christmas, right? I, I will make this about Christmas at some point. Christmas proves the length that God will go to, the length that God is willing to go to for you, whoever you are with whatever baggage you carry. That's what Jesus says. He says he didn't come here to be served, but to serve, right? He didn't come here uh, to receive gifts, but to give his life. He didn't come here so that you could earn your freedom. He came here to pay the ransom for you, to bring you, even you, into his family. That's the joy of Christ that dwells in us today. It's that we are his that you don't need gold, that you don't need some frankincense, and you don't need myrrh. And I know y'all don't know what those things are. And so we sing that song just like I do and go, yeah, what is frankincense? It's probably something that smells like a scent. But anyway, and you, you don't need to be the best family. You don't need to be in the best small group. You don't have to have the best job. You don't have to have the best marriage. Can I tell you, I, if you've been married for more than a minute, you know that it's not always easy. I tell every couple that I do premarital, if you get out of the pictures after the ceremony without rolling your eyes at each other, that's a win, okay? (laughs) You don't have to have the best marriage. You don't have to have the best kids. You know that I know that sometimes your kids screw up. Y'all know that, right? Like, like y'all know ours do, right? I'm not going to throw them totally under the bus here tonight, but we walk in here week after week trying to look like we've got it all together, and I promise you mama's choked three of them on the way in, okay? (laughs) It's just how it goes in this life. So quit faking it. We know you're not perfect. You don't have to run the best business. You don't. You don't have to eat organic food all the time. It's okay. If you don't have yogurt as part of your daily diet, that is okay. God will still welcome you into his family. You don't have to have a really pretty past. You don't. You don't have to have a really awesome present, and you don't have to have really bright prospects for the future. You just need to surrender. Last night, some of our family gathered together. It's one of the branches of our family tree. And so if you're like us, this year is, or this time of year is when you're trying to figure out when you're going to see which people, right? And that's, that's a lot of what we do. One of ours gathered together to sort of kickstart the Christmas festivities. Our kids, one of them said to me last night, now it feels like Christmas. I'm like, that's because you just tore open some paper and got a present. But anyway... <laughs> It was a fun time together. It was awesome. We, we got to eat, and then we played that game. And some of you will know this game, right? We played that game where everybody brings a gift, every, just brings a gift, and you set like a limit, like, I don't know, like 15, 20 bucks or whatever. You set a limit. Everybody brings a gift that's supposed to be within that. And then you draw numbers, right? And then you take turns uh, either picking from the pile of gifts, or if you are one of those people, you can steal the gift from your family member whom you love and care for, right? Um, you can just steal it from one of your family members. It's a lot of fun. It's basically Christmas savagery, you know, every man for themselves. It's a pretty good way to teach your kids about disappointment, if I'm honest. Um, 
in the midst of all of I got a child and an uncle that have to do some repair work on their relationship uh, over the course of the next week or so. In the midst of all of that, in the midst of the chaos, my little nephew, who's about two years old, uh, he was playing with one of those little Fisher-Price uh, children's nativity sets. You know what I'm talking about there? If you've got kids or grandkids, you probably have either seen this thing or, or by now thrown it away. But anyway, it is, uh, it's very plastic. It's very cartoonish. Uh, the description online is that it's got a, it has um, one shepherd, one angel. The angel has a position on the top of the barn or the stable, right? And if you mash the angel, it starts singing some kind of song. It's just one of those gifts, right, that, that makes noise. It's a noisemaker. Uh, and so he's playing with this thing. There's a couple donkeys, a sheep, a camel, uh, uh, several wise men. There's a shepherd. And then, of course, uh, Mary and Joseph are there. Baby Jesus is uh, laying in a, in a, in a trough. And uh, anyway, it's great. It's precious, right? It's a child's toy. Kids love it. And so uh, we were in the room playing. I got relegated to the children's table last night, so that tells you how much respect I've got. Anyway, um, uh, but it's really where I belong. It was a lot of fun. And so uh, we were, we're in there, and uh, he's playing with this thing, and it, like the sheep who's supposed to be sitting there looking, gazing at baby Jesus is just kind of laying on its side, you know? And the camel, uh, the angel is nowhere to be found, all right? That thing is just gone. So the camel has assumed its position on top of the stable. The wise men are apparently still in the Far East because they were nowhere to be found. The shepherd is covered in something. All I can say is a toddler had been playing with it, and we don't know what that substance was, but it was sticky. And... um Mary and Joseph were actually in some kind of prison, so that as kids play, they end up mixing and matching toys, so they had actually been uh, put on lockdown by Batman and Superman and the rest of the Justice League, so not sure what had been going on there. Baby Jesus is in his hand, and uh, the only thing that is where it's actually supposed to be at this point are the two donkeys, which evidently didn't justify being played with. It occurred to me in that moment that this is a more accurate representation of the chaos of that first Christmas as the Son of God came into the world. It was a reminder to me, just, in the, just watching this little kid chew on baby Jesus, that, um, that when he came to the earth, it wasn't peaceful and quiet. Like it wasn't all well put together. He didn't come into a world where everything was perfect and clean. I'm guessing the shepherds smelled bad when they came to the stable. I'm guessing that Mary and Joseph didn't have their act together. After all, they didn't have the foresight to book a room before they got into town. I'm guessing that it was cold and damp in that what was probably less a barn and more of a cave. You see, that first Christmas wasn't as pretty as we normally have it up on our shelves. Jesus came into the chaos. He stepped into the mess of this world. If he came into my family, we'd probably say he came into the crazy. That's the true Christ. And what Peter tells us in this passage, if you look there in verse 3, is that it was according to his great mercy, according to the great mercy of God, that Jesus came to earth. That's what it says there. It says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. You know that word for great mercy is the same as saying abundant mercy. 
It's overflowing mercy. It's that the cup overflows. That's, that's where that saying comes from. It's that great mercy. It's mercy that extends beyond the container. It's that there's more mercy than there's even a need. It's great. It's abundant. And what mercy means is simply this. It means uh, leniency and compassion toward an offender or toward an enemy. Leniency, compassion toward an offender, towards an enemy. Mercy is unearned. Mercy is undeserved. And so the grace of God in Christ to us is not that we go to Him, but Christmas proves it's that He comes to us. Jesus is the one who comes to us. Not just in the silence and the calm of night, but in the chaos of our shattered nativity. He comes to us when the wise men wouldn't be caught dead around us. He comes to us when, like the sheep, we have run away. He comes to us when, like a shepherd, we're smelly and dirty and people think that we are gross and stupid. He doesn't wait for people to clean themselves up and to make themselves presentable, but he runs out to meet us, to embrace us as the prodigals. He comes and he wipes the dirt off our face. He comes and he puts a ring on our finger. He comes and he puts a robe on our back and he throws a party after putting sandals on our feet and inviting us in to celebrate. And then you know what he does? This is the best part. As he strikes up the chorus of heaven to join in singing a song of praise to God over one sinner. One sinner who was brought into the fold of God. That's the true Christ. That's the love of Christ. And he shows his love for us. And that while we were still sinners, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That's what Paul said in Ephesians 2, 4, that God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. Paul says, by grace you have been saved. That's the mercy of God in Christ. And that's our only boast. As those who have received mercy, one of my convictions over the last year is that as those who have received mercy, who've received this incredible gift, who've been, who's been transformed from death to life, is we sure are quiet about it. Like to consider that we were dead in our sins and then that by grace have been made alive together with Christ and to somehow live today under the impression that we are to keep that a secret is surely one of the greatest lies that the enemy would ever tell us. Paul says this, the way he talks about it, he says that we boast in Christ, that we boast in him. That's what he says in Galatians six fourteen. He says, but far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. You know what the word there for boast means? It doesn't mean bragging. That's not what it means. It doesn't mean that we go around bragging that we've been saved. To boast is more like a ceremonial war cry. That's the idea there. So when you hear boast in the Bible, you shouldn't see a guy bragging. You should see two armies standing opposite one another. And right before they're about to fight, if you've ever seen Braveheart or any of the other classic movies, you know that they do what? They start shouting at each other. Who's the loudest? Here's our boast. Why do they do that? They do it to intimidate the enemy. They do it to intimidate the person on the other side of the field because it's a war cry. 
It's the idea that we stand on this side of the field of of eternity. We stand in the already of this present day, guarded by God, right? This is what Peter said. We are guarded by God in the peace of knowing that the not yet of the future will come. And holding on to the hope that comes from his victory. And our boast, our shout at the enemy is that he cannot win. Because the battle's already been won. That's what Christmas is about. That's what Christmas is about. It's about a battle that's already been won. And you can't wrap that up and put it under a tree, even if you had a big giant tree like them kids said we needed. That's what we celebrate tonight. That's what you're going to be celebrating tomorrow. Like, I hope you get a new sweater. Some of you need them, man. I've seen some ugly sweaters at Christmas time, man. I hope you get some new shoes, nice ones that help you walk and run faster. Some of you kids, I hope you get something that help you jump higher or play better or whatever. You might get a new game, and I hope you enjoy playing that game. You probably get whatever new Apple Watch is out, and then three months from now it'll crack, and you'll need another one, but that's okay. I hope you get that thing. Because whatever it is, it's going to need replacing before next year. And so more than anything, I hope and I pray that what you get this year is you get Jesus. I hope that that's what you receive because he alone, he alone is our hope. He alone is our peace. He alone is our joy and he alone is the reason that we love. And so I hope that's what you get. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for today. We thank you for the opportunity to gather here with your people. We thank you for the joy of this season. Man, we thank you for the fun of being around family who maybe we don't get to see as much. We thank you for the, the eyes of children who look with such wonder and excitement this time of year. Lord, I pray that what you would do is speak to us through every tear of paper tomorrow. Through every opening of every box, help us see a torn veil and help us see an empty tomb. Help us not take for granted what you have done for us so that we can live today for you. Help that to be the boast of our lives as we go into this community or as we go home to whatever community we came from. Lord, as we're about to light candles here together, help us to see the beauty of the light that came into the world, the Lamb of God who takes away our sin. Help us to see that. Help us to boast in that and to proclaim that with great boldness and courage, knowing that you hold us in your hands. Lord, would you wake your people up? Would you let 2019 be a year where we no longer wait for the rocks to cry out in praise and glory to you? Help us to beat them to it. Help us to use our voices. Help us to use our lives. Help me to stop being so afraid. Lord, I pray that you would go to work in our hearts, that we might go to work for you. And I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.